Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. Wow. I had one of those mornings, I was just talking to my producer, I said, you know, I woke up this morning and I felt like I was getting sick. And you know, I always get sick when I come back from a cross country trip, but it's a week already and I hadn't gotten any symptoms. So I was like, hey, I'm all right. I'm not gonna be sick, this is great. And then this morning I woke up and like I had this pulsing in my ear and uh, my throat didn't feel that good. But thank goodness I uh, did some of my work went back to bed, slept about 40 minutes, woke up, and I feel like better than I have felt in weeks. (laughs) I don't get it. I just don't get it. I'm just grateful though, you know, I'm not complaining. And uh, and, and what a a blessing, you know. You don't realize how difficult it is to have to function when you don't feel well. Whatever that amounts to, you know, if you're an actor, Remembering your lines, you know, I was reading this article about uh, Tallulah, I think her name is Tallulah Willis, Bruce Willis's daughter. And she was talking about when the family first started noticing that Bruce Willis was struggling. Um, He has some form of aphasia. And so, uh, you know, I was reading this article, she is uh, in and of her own life, she struggles with some mental health issues and then this happened. And it was a pretty uh, interesting article about what it's like when someone who is extremely competent and talented, like a Bruce Willis, you know, I think back to the days of Moonlighting, you know, that's when I first saw him, and then all of the movies, Die Hard, and all those movies that he made, and of course, uh, the marriage to Demi Moore and the three daughters, and, um, you know, to, to have him diminished in any way just must be terrible, painful for the family, you know, much like, you know, poor Robin Williams when he got that uh, Louis body dementia and at first nobody knew what was happening and then once they did know what was happening, it was almost worse. It was worse for him. And I think about those things. It seems as though the more together you are, the more horrifying any of these chronic or long-term illnesses, particularly when they affect the brain, are. You know, I remember my friend Jack Cole, who, of course, was uh, a radio announcer for many, many years here in this market. And I remember, you know, during a a program that we were doing together right after 9-11, he kept dropping the pencil. And he was always taking notes and drawing pictures. He would draw these pictures of the inspector general. And so he was drawing these pictures, and he kept dropping his pencil. And by the end of the show, you know, it was a three or four hour show, and by the end of the show, I said, Jack, like, what's up with you dropping that pencil so many times today? And he says, I don't know. I've been dropping things a lot lately. And it ended up that he had, uh, you know, a a brain 
tumor and, and and it was not a long time between the day that he first dropped that pencil in my vision and and he was gone and he was uh, probably one of the most brilliant men I had ever met in my life he was extremely um, wonderful to work with because he knew everything I mean on the day that the uh, planes flew into the World Trade Center he said Osama bin Laden's name before anybody had made that announcement and to this day, I don't know how he knew that, but he, he did. He, he put the pieces together, and he was a brilliant, brilliant man. Also, quite a good singer. But I, I, I think about that. You know, what is my trade? What is the, the, the skill necessary for my trade? It's I've got to be relatively sharp. You know, I've got to be able to think quickly and speak coherently and do this on a daily basis and put together enough information that I can actually entertain and inform an audience. And, you know, the, the biggest fear in my life was when my mother started to uh, come down or, you know, started exhibiting symptoms of Alzheimer's, and my father had some sort of dementia going on as well, and I was in a panic because this is my stock and trade. I can't, I can't afford to lose, it's much easier for me to envision limited body movement. Like I'm okay with, you know, hip replacements and, and if I have to have a knee replacement, I'll do that as well, shoulders, whatever. But the brain, mm, I think about that all the time and I try to be very careful. You know, people say you have to exercise every part of you, your body and your mind as well. My son, who is a trivia, you know, he does amazing at these I guess they do them at taverns and bars, these trivia contests, and his team is consistently number one in Los Angeles. No small feat. Um, but Derek's really sharp. I mean, his recall and his ability to bring information up is legendary in our family and among his friends. And certainly it made him you know, it made law school a piece of cake for him, whereas for many other people, it would have been much more of a struggle. It was a very, very intense experience going to Yale. Um, he, he did Harvard in three years, you know, undergraduate. So he's just a sh sharp dude. And uh, I look at him all the time. And, you know, I think he, his brain is, is his most valuable commodity as is mine. And as is his sister's, but slightly different. I think the practice of medicine is a whole different ball game. Um, and I don't know how I got off on that tangent other than to say that some days you wake up and you don't feel really good, go back to bed. <laughs> That's my answer. If you can, some days I don't have that luxury, but this morning I did. And what a difference it has made. Um, this is a big week. Chris Christie has announced that he is entering the race and he doesn't even have a reason that he's entering the race other than he wants to be, you know, uh, a Trump antagonist. That, that's what he said. Like, who runs for the presidency just so that they can, you know, uh, obliterate or annoy, is all he's going to do, one candidate? Who's going to support him? I mean, I'm not, you know, I can't imagine anyone making a donation to his campaign when that's his whole purpose. Uh, Mike Pence, on the other hand, it's going to be interesting to see how Mike Pence navigates a campaign against his former partner because he can't really brag all that much about the administration because if he does, 
then everybody's going to say, well, but Donald Trump was the president and he's still running to be the president. Why would we vote for his lieutenant when we could have the commander in chief? Now, personality wise, a lot of people would much prefer a, a, a Pence personality in the White House. But come on, guys, are you looking for is this a personality contest or are we looking for someone who can lead this nation and in all real, you know, think any, any kind of thoughts that you have about it, lead the world. The president of the United States is the leader of the free world. And right now we got a leader who can't stay on his feet, can't follow instructions, can't read a teleprompter, and he's going to do it again. It's amazing to me, it really is. I mean, it's definitely elder abuse. I know we've been saying that since the beginning of the campaign, but it grows more and more apparent that uh, that poor President Biden is just a uh, He's just gradually diminishing, not even that gradually, before our very eyes. And every single leader of every single nation, friend and foe, is watching that. And it is not good. It's not good for us, that's for sure. So I see that. We got Chris Christie. We're about to have Mike Pence. I think the most interesting announcement in the last 24 hours of a candidate who's running was uh, a candidate who's running... On a in a third party, a party that I had never really paid any attention to at all, um, because I didn't even know it existed, but it does exist. It's the People's Party, and it's a progressive party. And Cornell West, Professor Cornell West, has declared his candidacy. I watched the video announcement, and he said, "I am running for truth and justice as a presidential candidate." for the People's Party to reintroduce America to the best of itself, fighting to end poverty and mass incarceration, ending wars and ecological collapse, guaranteeing housing and healthcare and education and living wages for all. Sounds like utopia to me, right? Maybe we all have to support Cornell West. I've told the story before, but I'll tell it again because it was the first thing I thought of when I saw the video, the announcement by Cornell West. When Derek was undergrad at Harvard, he took a class with Cornell West. And when I was up there visiting one time, I said, you got to get me permission to audit this class. It was a class on uh, rap music, actually, as a vehicle for protest. And I, I figured, you know, that's a fascinating subject. And he's just a fascinating character. Uh, and so I did. I got to audit one class with a uh, Dr. Cornell West, and boy, I'll tell you, it was like uh, showtime. <laughs> it really was. He put on quite a show and uh, very compelling, very convincing, and very charismatic. Uh, a little on the weird looking side at the time. Now I think he's he settled into maturity a little better, but he was like at that m midpoint between youth and middle age where everybody's still trying to, you know, kind of look cool and really not pulling it off very well. But, uh, but the class was fascinating, and Derek got an A. But Derek knew more about rap music, I think, than even Cornell West did. But, uh, so he has declared, I find that fascinating. I think there's gonna be more third-party candidates than anyone has ever expected. Because now, of course, they're looking at Joe Manchin. And Joe Manchin is facing a very tough re-election as the senator from West Virginia. It does not look particularly good for Joe Manchin. And so people are 
asking him all kinds of questions about, you know, would he run for the presidency? And he certainly hasn't said no. And of course, he would necessarily have to do it as a third party candidate. And I, I'm always fascinated. Third party candidates, although I don't believe they can win, they definitely change election outcomes because they steal votes from one or the other candidate. And so that becomes a very, very, very um, major kind of uh, decision when someone des decides to go in. I, I believe with all my heart that if Donald Trump does not win the nomination in the Republican primary, and it sure looks like they don't want him, you know, uh, the people want him, but the party doesn't want him. And if he does not win, then I wouldn't put it past him to run as a third party candidate. He certainly got the funds and the grassroots supports to do it. And I think he will see this sign from uh, above as a very compelling reason. Today, Manhattan, where he of course, uh, you know, is from, has a eerie orange haze all over the sky. It's apparently from some wildfire smoke from Canada that has spread across the east, and they've got all these air quality you know, alerts out everywhere, and this fiery red sun rose in the sky, packed with smoke on Tuesday morning, and it transformed the sunrise into an orange, photo-worthy haze. And if ever there's been a color that's associated with Donald Trump, it's got to be orange, right? All right, don't forget to download the app, 850WFTL.com. That's the app. You can listen to all the shows, listen to podcasts and all that good stuff. Plus, get streaming news and all the great stories that Sharina puts up there so that you're ahead of the curve. Or if you don't want to put an app on your phone, then go to the website, 850WFTL.com. You can be part of all of our contests and get all the information that I've just mentioned just by going to the website. I'm going to take a quick break. I'll be right back. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Yep, yep, yep. So uh, just just watching, you know, the the machinations that are going on. The by the way, the party that uh, Joe Manchin is being encouraged to run uh, as, you know, at the top of the ticket is a party called No Labels, and it's run by people that basically expect politicians to do their job and not put the political party ahead of the country. He said, it's always what I believe. This is what Manchin said when Shannon Bream asked him about it. I believe that basically that's where you make the decisions. You listen to the left and the right. You make sure that you leave nobody behind. And you listen to the different persuasions that they might have, concerns. But when it comes, you've got to make common sense decisions, which are pretty interesting. You know, I, I don't think that's a, a losing uh, tactic. I think a lot of people are super frustrated with what they see as a paralysis in Washington because 
nobody talks to anybody. Um, and, and then when they do have a, you know, a meeting of the minds like we saw with uh, Kevin McCarthy and President Joe Biden over this uh, debt ceiling and budget bill, you know, it's fascinating. P you're going to tick off somebody. I'm not happy with the bill. So that means I'm not only not happy with Joe Biden, which is a standard for me, but now I'm not happy with the Speaker of the House either. And what happens? You know, there's no paralysis because they went ahead and the president signed it, and we're now in it. We've now kicked the proverbial can down the road again, and nobody seems to have the guts to do what's absolutely in the best interest of this country and even of the world, because I think that's something that people don't realize. Our economy, you can tell me global economy this and global economy that, but our, our country has been the leader of the financial global world for a long time now. And as we lose that ability to make sure that other countries are playing by certain rules, um, th it's like the wild, wild west in the financial markets right now. I, I look at, there was a time when I could get up in the morning, and I had to because I was doing financial broadcasts at the time. I could get up in the morning, I could look at the, uh, you know, the futures, I could look at the commodities markets, I could look at, you know, some of the predictions, uh, you know, which companies were going to be reporting their quarterlies, and, you know, and I could make like a pretty sane choice about what a good direction was for an investor to go in. Not anymore. Like I wake up and I look at those same measurements and I'm lost. I, I have no idea why... Uh, you know, any given day will create an up market or a down market. And really, it has very little to do with the, you know, economic, you know, fundamentals. It just doesn't anymore. One of the stories that I was looking at, you know, which was really kind of a strange story, um, and it's local, but it, it's local in in terms of South Florida, but not local in terms of, I know a lot about this person. The mayor of North Miami Beach, uh, who happens to be a Democrat, is looking at 15 years in prison after being arrested and charged with, hold on to your hats, my friends, because we've been told that this doesn't happen anywhere, being charged with voter fraud. The North Miami Beach City Charter requires elected officials to live in the city and an investigation into this, uh, this mayor, uh, Anthony DiFilippo, reveals that he lives in Davie. Okay, so if North Miami Beach requires that you live in the city, but you live outside of the city, and you're even serving on an HOA in your neighborhood in Davie, saying that you own two homes really doesn't uh, cut it, you know? Um, and that you drove from Davie to North Miami Beach to vote in three different elections in 2022, it is against the law. And he has been charged with the three counts of voter fraud. And that could add up to 15 years in prison. You know, my question is, why do politicians, and let's face it, a lot of Democrats, um, why do they take a chance like this? You know, wh why would they even attempt 
to do something when they know that everyone is watching every move they make, particularly when it comes to election integrity? I can't answer that question other than to say their egos are so enormous and so out of control that they actually believe they can get away with this stuff. And maybe they do get away with it a lot of the time. I got to believe that they do or they wouldn't keep doing it. Then there's this whole, uh, you know, what's going to happen with Trump? Indictment watch. I keep seeing all these, you know, headlines. And and then I see all these people weighing in. We had one of his attorneys, one of his ex-attorneys, Timothy Parlatori, was on Meet the Press, which, by the way, um, I haven't gloated about this at all because I really never take pleasure in someone, you know, getting the boot. But uh, Chuck Todd got the boot. He's going to be a senior analyst for NBC now, but uh, he's no longer the host of Meet the Press. Kristen Wilker is? Or so, I, I don't even know who she is. But she. Um, but on Meet the Press just this last uh, Sunday, this attorney said he would not be at all surprised if Jack Smith, that's the special counsel in the Mar-a-Lago documents case, would not prosecute the case. He said he wouldn't be surprised if he declines to prosecute the case. He said, you have to evaluate every case based on what are the facts and the law, and is it something that's provable? From a discretionary point of view, is this something where a prosecution makes sense? Is it something where it's a slam dunk case, where some of these things could be interpreted a few different ways? And also, when it comes to a specific issue like this, when we're talking about potentially national defense information, is it the type of thing where they want to declassify these things if they haven't already been declassified and put them out in the public? Because that is why they didn't prosecute Hillary Clinton in when she was using a private server and transmitting classified information. Because classification is not binding on the jury. You have to actually take the documents and show them to the jury and then prove to them that it constitutes a national defense issue or it's information regarding national defense. Now, he represented Donald Trump in this case before he left in May over, I guess he didn't agree with some of the other members of the team. So he has a lot of insight into what the Department of Justice has and probably a lot of insight into what the former vice president uh, had to say when he was called in to testify. And, you know, here we go. Another, what always amazes me about these stories, right, is it doesn't really matter in the long term whether this was all fake, fraud, phony, political ministrations. Um, that, that won't matter. It will have done enormous damage, perhaps, to the candidate, in this case to Donald Trump, and it certainly diminishes the Attorney General Merrick Garland's uh, standing. But think about this for a second. It's never a, it never ends up resulting in a, in a, in a prosecutable case and a conviction other than at a civil level. Right, I mean, you know, this uh, this woman who claims that Donald Trump, uh, you know, raped her in a dressing room a million years ago, she got a civil, jur- you know, a civil case prosecuted and won, but this guy has been impeached multiple times. Really, think about that, multiple times. He's been dragged through the mud 
over uh, Russian collusion and, uh, you know, uh, what was it? That they were going after him. The, the people were staying in his hotels and, you know, the, the, oh, I mean, whatever they could throw at him, they threw at him, right? And it never ended up with the very uh, rare exception of him being successfully prosecuted. I don't know how any of this ends up. None of us know. But it does so much damage, and that's really all they want to do is as much damage as possible to convince Democrats that he really is Satan and to convince Republicans who still like him that they better not select him as their candidate. What a disgusting way to, uh, to do politics, but that's where we're at right now. We have a Department of Justice that's totally politicized. We've got Trump derangement syndrome. We've got, uh, to a certain extent, uh, elder abuse in the Biden administration. And the biggest fear I think anybody in the whole country has right now is, God forbid, Joe Biden, uh, the next time he has one of these falls, actually ends up uh, hurting himself badly. Are you ready for a Kamala Harris presidency? I mean, I, 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 that scares me. That really, really scares me. This woman seems so out of the, the mainstream when it comes to her politics and her abilities. What are her abilities? What has she done since she's been there? At least with Mike Pence, you can say he actually was an activated vice president and actually accomplished everything except the most important thing that he should have accomplished, was, which was not to certify that election until further examination of the voting rolls. But be that as it may, he did a great job when he was the vice president. I think you could probably say uh, the same about many vice presidents, but not this one, not Kamala Harris. I mean, people either don't like her or hate her. There's no, you know, there's no, some people like her. Even people from California who claim to like her, they don't like her. Anyway, let me take a break. We're going to continue on with the show. There's a couple of other big stories that I have got to get to today. I keep, you know, uh, hoping that I'll get to them on any given day, and then I just get carried away with some of the subject matter, which is, of course, my, um, my particular talent, isn't it? Uh, stay right where you are. I'll be right back. So I got to tell you, you know, sometimes I read these stories and I put them aside and I'm not sure like what, what I'm not sure what I think about them immediately. I need some time to process. I happen to be less impulsive as the years go by than I was as a much younger person. So I was looking at the earlier this week, the governor of Minnesota, well, well I guess it was Monday, because how much earlier this week could it have been? Maybe it was last week. Anyway, Governor Tim Waltz signed a bill legalizing recreational marijuana in his state, in Minnesota. And the uh, Federal Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives, or we call them the ATF, provided clarification to Minnesota residents that if they puff pot, they can't have guns. And that's the same thing that applies to residents of every other state. And there are now 23 states where recreational pot is legal under state law, but it's still prohibited under federal statute. The Federal Gun Control Act of 1968 prohibits any person 
who is an unlawful user of or addicted to any controlled substance as defined by the Controlled Substances Act of 1970 from shipping, transporting, receiving, or possessing firearms or ammunition, according to an ATF advisory that was posted um, in Crookston, Minnesota, on one of the uh, uh, AM stations. I think it's KROX. Regardless of the changes in the Minnesota law uh, having to do with the legalization of recreational marijuana, any individual who is using it is still considered an unlawful user of a controlled substance. And so they cannot own a gun. They cannot uh, you know, send away for bullets. Until marijuana is legalized federally, firearms owners and possessors should be mindful that it remains illegal to mix marijuana with firearms and ammunition, which is kind of interesting because it's not illegal to uh, have alcohol in your home and own a gun. So, you know, gun ownership is a very big issue. And local politics generally determines what kind of gun laws there are. I mean, obviously, in states like Washington or California, they have very, New York, they have very strict gun laws. And now, very uh, loose marijuana laws. So, you know, you're going to have cases that are going to clog up the whole federal court system uh, deciding whether or not it's unconstitutional to strip you of your Second Amendment rights because you have, have marijuana in, in your possession. If you're found in possession, you absolutely should lose your Second Amendment rights. That's what the Biden administration is saying right now. At what point do they then say, if you are a gun owner and you have alcohol, you lose your Second Amendment rights? I'm always afraid of the slippery slope. I don't happen to agree with the recreational use of marijuana. I don't make a big deal about it because I certainly know enough people who seem to be able to tolerate the use of uh, marijuana and alcohol without uh, creating you know, havoc. <laughs> Um, I don't happen to be one of them. You know, I, I you don't put anything in my system. No, no chemicals, nothing that alters uh, anything about uh, my mind. Because, I'm, you know, I just, I can't handle it. And I, I would be totally irresponsible to be a gun owner and be using stimulants or sedatives or anything else. You know, I, I get nervous when they put me on these strong antibiotics that, that make me feel kind of queasy. But so I'm really curious to see how soon it will be before the Controlled Substance Act comes into play here. Because marijuana is considered a Schedule One drug, which under federal definition has absolutely no accepted medical use and is uh, very likely to be abused. You know, in, in that same category are heroin, LSD, ecstasy, cocaine. Federal law does not provide any exception allowing the use of marijuana even for medicinal purposes, never mind recreational purposes. You know, um, uh, remember how crazy we thought it was when Hunter Biden, who was an admitted crack cocaine user, I mean, he took the pictures, nobody accused him of something he didn't document himself, and when he had purchased a gun, 
a lot of people said, wait a minute, you know, how did he get his hands on a weapon in the first place, which then his, uh, his I, I don't even know how to describe him, her, his girlfriend, who was his brother's wife, uh, threw the gun into a trash bin, right? But, you know, Hunter Biden could find himself in a very surprising position at the cutting edge of the fight to strengthen the Second Amendment because he was the target of a Department of Justice investigation scrutinizing his purchase of a gun at a time when he said he was regularly using crack cocaine. And federal law bans drug users from owning guns. If you've ever applied for a permit, um, you know that that's one of the questions that they ask. You know, do you use any uh, controlled substances? So we'll see. You know, the New York Times is reporting in the months after the court's landmark ruling that gave people a broad right to carry guns outside the home, Biden's lawyers told the Justice Department prosecutors who were investigating whether to charge Hunter in connection with a gun purchase that a prosecution of him would likely be ruled moot. See, crack and pot are two different things, but the use of either one of them is still a disqualifier for firearms possession or ownership under federal law. You know, we can't even control people who have histories of very serious mental illnesses and paranoia and, and all kinds of things. They're still buying guns. We have people who are kicked out of the military for mental issues who are able to go and buy a gun. So I'm tired of listening to people say, well, we just need more laws. We have laws. We don't seem to be able to enforce those laws. But people like me are constantly questioned about whether or not I have a right to own a weapon. And uh, that, that uh, definitely uh, uh, doesn't seem fair at all. My Second Amendment rights are there for a reason. You know, it's the Second Amendment for a reason. Because without that Second Amendment, you can kiss the First Amendment and all of those freedoms goodbye not to mention three, four through, you know, uh, all of them, okay? You know, the right to redress my grievances to the government is probably the most important right in the First Amendment, but guess what? The reason they put the Second Amendment in there was because they were afraid of tyrannical governments. Hmm, interesting, right? Interesting, but unfortunately, half the people in America don't know this. So there's an Agenda 47 video out now and uh, President Donald Trump said that he wants to address the uh, inordinate sharp rise in chronic illnesses and health problems, particularly among children. He said every year we spend hundreds of billions of dollars to treat these chronic problems rather than looking at what is causing them in the first place. Too often our public health establishment is too close to big pharma. They make a lot of money, big pharma big corporations and other special interests and do not want to ask the tough questions about what is happening to our children's health. Meanwhile, they were insisting that our children receive a vaccine that wasn't a vaccine. And President Trump has to accept some responsibility for that as well. You know, he wants to have a presidential commission charged with investigating what is causing these decades-long increases in chronic illnesses. I mean, uh, when I think, when I came into the, the field that, that I started out in, um, it was, autism was very rare and very specific. And now 
we look at a spectrum and it's rampant. Autoimmune disorders, very rare in children. Now it's rampant. Obesity in children was really not problematic. It was rare. And now it's like every kid uh, is bordering on obese. Allergies, respiratory challenges. You know, it really is time to ask what's going on. Is it the food? Is it the environment? Is it the overprescription of certain medications? Is it toxins and chemicals that are present in our homes? We need to know the answer. So, you know, the one thing you got to be sure of is whoever becomes the next president is not bought and paid for by big pharma. Because if they are, well, guess what? Nothing changes if nothing changes. All right. Don't forget, coming up at 1 o'clock, Dan Bongino. At 4 o'clock, it is Ben Shapiro. At 5 o'clock, it's the w, uh, Matt Walsh. And then at 6 o'clock, the WPTV News, Joe Paggs, Lars Larson, the whole uh, mishpuka coming on after that. And then tomorrow morning, we will begin the day again with Jennifer and Bill and the South Florida Morning Show. But I have one segment left, so please stay right where you are. So, I, I, hey, listen, I think it's time for us to start asking some tough questions, and I think uh, that you're going to see a lot of that in this election. I always said that I'm excited that there'll be a number of people uh, jumping into this race. I think that bodes well for the candidate that I prefer. Um, I also saw this, and, and, you know, I don't have enough time today. I'm going to have to get to this t tomorrow, but there was a... Uh, a Budget Turkey Watch report that came out for Florida. Uh, there's an organization that I really admire called Florida Tax Watch, and they do an annual independent review of the budget of the 2023 to 24 budget, which just got passed and signed. And they've been doing this since 1983. And what it does is it gives you some oversight and, and it provides a little um, integrity to the state's budgeting process because you see money appropriated by the legislature actually belongs to you and me. It belongs to the taxpayers of Florida. And so there should be a thoughtful, a transparent and a thorough and an accountable process. Every appropriation should receive proper deliberation and should, and the public should have an opportunity to scrutinize it. And that includes the projects that individual members request. Now, in this report, the Budget Turkey Watch report, it doesn't actually make a judgment of whether or not a project is worthy, but it does identify appropriations that don't adhere to the transparency and the accountability standards that we're supposed to have in any public budgeting. And most of the time, what they point out are these, uh, almost exclusively, these member projects. And they tend to serve a limited area. And they're often not the core functions of state government, or, or more appropriately, should be funded with local or, or even private dollars. And what ends up happening is there's no competitive bidding, there's no selection, and there's no oversight. There's no accountability. So when you're looking at a $117 billion budget that got passed for this upcoming fiscal year, and it has 216 appropriations items worth uh, $597 million, 
that qualify as budget turkeys? Well, then I think that, uh, you know, we should applaud Florida Tax Watch, Watch and we should make sure that we understand this. This is a record number of member projects, more than 1,500 projects worth approximately $3.2 billion. And that's even more remarkable when you consider that there are 160 legislatures, legislators rather. That means each lawmaker was able to secure an average of nearly 10 member projects, appropriation projects by the legislature, worth an average of $20 million for their home district. That should that should ring an alarm bell. It does to me. And I'm sure many of them are worthwhile and some probably fill a real critical need. And most are things that local citizens would like to have in their communities. But the question is, should the state be funding projects or programs that are purely local, especially projects that are kind of more of a luxury than a necessity? You know, my producer was saying just a few minutes ago, you know, if Ron DeSantis is using state money to fly migrants from Texas to California and we're still, you know, ruining our alignments with potholes in Palm Beach County, is that a fair use of our taxpayer money? Now, they're flush with cash because the revenue has grown thanks to uh, all the federal aid that we got through the, uh, you know, COVID years and uh, because we have a lot of people moving into the state. And you can argue that some of this windfall should be, sir, you know, should be shared with communities, with local governments. And, and you can make that case, especially for communities that got impacted by hurricanes. But in total, counties all got about the same growth in sales tax revenue as the state did. And property taxes never skipped a beat during the pandemic. I don't know about the rest of you. My property tax actually went up during the last three years. And how many localities got the, the money in federal aid from the CARES Act? And $7.1 billion more from the American Rescue Plan. This is the equivalent of another 40% property tax increase. So, you know, I think this is a valuable project that they do, and I'm going to talk about some of these items. Uh, you know, there's water projects, there's local transportation projects, there's housing and community development projects, there's schools and uh, private college and university projects, local law enforcement projects. Many of these, fire services, economic development, many of these seem very worthwhile. But why weren't they discussed with the very public that they're designed to improve our lives? Because I'll tell you why, because some of them don't. Many of them don't. And we're going to talk about them. You can download it yourself if you go to their website, and then you know what I'm talking about. It's Florida Tax Watch, one word, floridataxwatch.org. And uh, look at the research. Just look at it. You know, you should know these things. You should know what the top issues are that affect us here in the state of Florida. Because as long as we're going to be growing, we ought to know. You know, where's our money going? Yeah, I just had, got a text message this morning from my, uh, my stepdaughter who's living in an apartment, a two-bedroom apartment. They raised her rent astronomically in the beginning of the year, and now they just notified her that she's going to have another rent raise. And I'm like, wow, you know, how, could, how can people afford it? Well, the answer is they can't. You know, and, and apparently 
we'll throw money at you know shipping migrants to California before we'll help a, a single mom with a rent. So yeah, I'm I'm going to be dissecting this uh, very carefully, and I suggest you do the same thing. It's FloridaTaxWatch.org. I thank you for your time this time until next time. My plan is to be back here tomorrow at noon if it be his will and he delays his coming. What lies behind us and what lies ahead of us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. So wherever you are, pay attention. Go to floridataxwatch.org and may God bless you. May God bless Florida and may God bless the United States of America. See you tomorrow. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast has been brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com.